Most of Australia will know Walid Ali as a host of The Project, Channel 10's evening news talk show. Despite having amassed such a broad audience throughout his work in the media, Walid has said himself, I have an audience of one. Walid is a man of excellence without a plan. He has excelled in academia, law, politics and journalism, but never fully committed himself to a career in any one. But Allah is the best of planners. And through his will, Walid is where he is today. Oh, thank God that's over. A'udhu billahi shaitan rajeem, bismillah rahman rahim Welcome to another Safi Bros podcast, where we give you episodes on success stories. Assalamu <laughs> alaikum everyone. Where yes, today we are very blessed to have an amazing brother with us, none other than Walid Ali. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to Walid Ali. We can talk all day about his amazing <laughs> stuff that he's done. But inshallah, we're going to go through all of them. and uh, All of them? <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> We're going to go through as many as we can. <laughs> and, and I think you have to watch this on fast pace because it's going to be a long episode. Oh, you reckon? <laughs> no. Well, it started when I won the bronze football, football clinic in uh, prep. And, uh, and that was probably the first award I ever won. Serious. Want to start with that? Wow. <laughs> How old were you then? I was six. Oh, so, wow. yeah, yeah. There you go. Do, do you remember that? There? Yeah, okay, it was a big moment for me. Oh, it's, wow. the, it's the peak of my football career. <laughs> <laughs> on a long. Uh, so tell us a bit about yourself. Born in Australia. Yeah. How many siblings? Uh, born in Australia. My brother, I have one brother who's 10 years older than me. Inshallah. And I'm actually the first in my family born in Australia because... My brother was born in Egypt. Parents came out from Egypt. Interesting thing about my parents was they, they actually met here in Australia. They didn't oh. meet in Egypt. And, um, yeah, they got married. And then my mum fell pregnant with my brother Ahmed. And around that time, they, my parents had decided Australia's not going to work. We're going back to Egypt. Um, this is the 60s, right? Wow. Like, you know, yeah, some, some jippo guy. And the white Australia policy is still in play, you know, so he just found it really hard. And so mum goes home thinking that's it. And dad's here tying up loose ends. And then at some point my dad called my mum and said, uh, I've sorted out. We've got a job. We're staying. Oh, <laughs> wow. Mum's like back. back in, uh, probably in Fayum where she's from in Egypt. And like, what do you mean? <laughs> wow. So she decided to stay there, have my brother there. And then came back to Australia. And then I was born 10 years later. So you know in every family there's a generation gap. Yeah. But in migrant families there's like a generation gap and a culture gap because the kids right. are born in a different country yeah. with a different culture and all this sort of stuff, right? So I had that. But then my brother was kind of the figure in the middle because he was kind of like my parent, but he wasn't. So he kind of played a role. He was, he, to me he was like the parent who did grow up. In Melbourne, Subhanallah. and could teach me stuff about about footy, Subhanallah. or cricket, or whatever you know, yeah, and just yeah. school. And you know, wow. we were in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. There weren't like there was one other Egyptian family. I remember <laughs> them. There was a Vietnamese family down the road. Like, that was it. Wow. I don't know. My dad was a civil engineer as well, so he was after a while. So he was building houses and things, and eventually he built a house in Vermont, Vermont. in the eastern suburbs, and we moved into it. I came along once the family was established there, whereas my brother would have a very different story because he would remember all the little bits and pieces. Yeah, the change. But what it meant was that I, there were just things I missed out on which I really regret. So, for example, my Arabic's terrible. But one of the reasons for that was that, whereas my brother has 
think he can speak Arabic. Like, oh, Masri, you know, there's Arabic. Zayek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, so, but he, because he used to go to Egypt a lot when he was a kid and play with our cousins and stuff like that. But also my parents spoke Arabic at home with him. All that time later, I come along and Arabic's not spoken at home in the way it was for my brother. And so there's there's all these. Ten years. Yeah, it's amazing how much changes in ten years. They're quite an established, you know. And, you know, and my my mum was amazing in that way. Like she, she comes out to Australia. Imagine this Egyptian woman coming out to Australia with like probably like an arts degree from a university in Egypt or something. And she winds up teaching English and Australian history. (laughs) That's, they're like the subjects that she teaches. So the family I sort of grew up in was quite a different one from the one that my brother did Mm. just because of the position they were in and society. It was still establishing them, but then you you came with the established Yeah. Yeah, It's amazing. It's it's, it's a very different scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Take us to your primary school days. So... Again, you won that award, of course. We just heard about yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, uh, The bronze footballer. Don't just don't don't forget that one or belittle it. It's, it's a good award. Um, I think it means I was the third best footballer in the under sixes. <laughs> um, Did you want to be a footy player? I loved footy, yeah, and cricket. Sport was always a big thing. My brother um, instilled that in me because the thing is, like, sport is always a way in in communities, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. that's so true. Yeah, and like. The eastern suburbs of Melbourne at that time, not very multicultural, starting to change a little bit, but not a huge amount. I basically had to be like the best footballer or the best cricketer in the playground at school, and that was my way. For them to love you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, if people wanted to be on my team at lunchtime, then that was something, right? It was kind of a way in. Yeah. Other guests have said the same thing. SubhanAllah. It's it's amazing when you're sort of, you're in a minority, you know, you can shine by being the best at certain things and people will treat you. Yeah, you know. All of a sudden, yeah. you become that. You're, 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 you're okay. Right. You're okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The differences are put aside now. You know. It's yeah, like, yeah. Amazing. To some extent. I mean, they yeah. can resurface, but, <laughs> but yeah, at times, yeah. So well, you're gonna make us win. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. But also, that's where my brother was really handy because he was obviously really into sport and whatever, and he was learning these sports that my parents, my, my dad, never played cricket or like. That yeah, don't play cricket's not at a very high standard in Egypt, right? There's not a, <laughs> yeah. not a lot of it going on. Yeah, Same with the Aussie, Aussie rules footy. There's not yeah, a lot of it in Cairo. But my brother kind of figured out a lot of this stuff, and then he's teaching me how to play these things. And he's ten years older than me, so I'm in the backyard practicing against someone who's like five times my size. Wow. So when I went and played against a kid at school, I was like, well, "This is this is easy," you know. Yeah. Until eventually everyone catches up and you're just actually not very good. But up until that point, <laughs> it was very handy. You're the best. Yeah, yeah. So it, um, so that was all, yeah, sport was a massive part of it. Apart from the, you know, there was there was racial stuff from time to time, but not all the time. Um, and I knew I was kind of different and I knew being a Muslim made me different and that would show up around things like Christmas time or whatever or, or you know, Eid or something yeah. like that. But... Um, but by and large, you know, it was a pretty standard middle-class Australian upbringing, you know. At that time, were your parents plugged into the community a lot? They were definitely plugged into the Egyptian community. So, you know, uh, Isama Masjid. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, so yes. my dad built that. Oh, wow. So most of the houses I lived in up until maybe 10 years ago, my dad would have built. Allah. Yeah, that's just, you know. Um, Amazing. Yeah, but anyway, so, you know, he built that mosque. We used to spend a lot of time at, um, you know, Heidelberg Mosque, you know, a Siddiq. A lot of it was very 
Egyptian community. Mm. Whereas the the Muslim side of it, as in specifically as Muslims, like the Islamic side of it, mm. really probably came via my brother. The community was always part of my life, but it, they were kind of different communities. And the YMA community and that Muslim community, Muslims of that age and lots of different ethnic backgrounds, that's a different thing to like an ethnic community, which is what I got with the Egyptian yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yes, you're right. You're right. We all, I think we all have had that yeah. where you plug into your community that's more inclined Lebanese or then, then you realise they're two different things. Oh, beautiful. So that's you as a young chap growing up. Yeah. Uh, when did you realise that you had the gift of academia? It's probably more a culture. So like my house was always an education-focused house. I didn't grow up in a house where it was like, I wonder if you'll go to uni. It was like, well, no, that's just a given. It's a question oh, wow. of what you're going to do and yeah. which uni. And right. So education was so important to my parents, really important. So much so that when I did anything that played up at school, my teachers would say, I'll tell your parents, because they knew they'd be on the teacher's side. They wouldn't be on my side. And because I was so young in my family, I was I just grew up at dinner tables where People were constantly having debates about things that were beyond my understanding. But, you know, when that happens, eventually you kind of, something gets in. Yeah, Do you, yeah, know, you, you know what yeah, I mean? Even if you don't really understand what's going yes, on. Yeah, even now, I can't, I can't think of any examples, but I, I know this phenomenon where something will drop and I go, that's what they were talking about like 30 years ago. Yeah. That's what that argument was about or whatever. And we, so there was always debate and argument going on in our house, not in a sort of heated way, like it wasn't at each other's throats, but they would, that was just the world I Yeah, And I think when, when the education kicks in, it's the deeper discussions really, that's what you're trying yeah. to say. So the deeper discussions, they've got more intellect in them. So really somebody at a younger stage has to really Step, step up, up. Mm. really to be able to absorb it. And if you don't, you still say, well, I tried, you know, in, yeah, like, yeah. subconscious, you know. Yeah. Subhanallah, yeah. you know. Did you, did you ever feel like it's not what you wanted? Did you ever feel like, you know, mom, dad, yeah, I know education's for you, but because we get a lot of people yeah. in our retreat that, you know, sometimes like mom and dad wanted to be a doctor. They, like you said, you know, ground roots, they, they, you know, want to push education, but some of them don't want to do that. Yeah. Did you ever feel that? It, no, so. Um, it was opposite. There might have been things they would rather I'd, done that I didn't want to do that specific thing, okay. but not the overall doctor? thing. Well, I'm, I'm Egyptian, so if you're not, a, <laughs> if you're not a doctor or an engineer, you're basically not Egyptian. <laughs> like I, think, I, I think they might actually take your citizenship back. I'm not, is that a rule? I think it might be a rule. Um, yeah, maybe a pharmacist. Like if you have to be. That's terrible. That's terrible. something. Mm. Definitely not a lawyer. This uh, is actually, the Egyptians don't oh, wow. rate lawyers, yeah, uh, certainly not in Egypt, because I think they see lawyers as like basically being agents of the government or something. Yes, yes, yes. Which is a very different situation to here. Yeah. And yeah. so there's a bit of like, if I go to Egypt and I say I do a law degree, they're not, a, but if I say I did an engineering degree, Oh, Bash Mahendis. Yeah, totally everything. Um, but no, no, I, education was like, and I always was like pretty good at school, like all the way through. I, did, I had one or two moments where I was battling um, just because, you know, there was a step up in the, the how difficult the work was or whatever, and I didn't quite make it and I had to adjust. So I had those sort of moments, but I never had a thing where I was like, ah. Oh, Education's stupid. I'm not interested. Mm. That was just always part of it. I mean, I, I was in, grew up in the kind of house where my 
you know, I would come home from school and tell my dad I got 96% on a maths test and he would say, what happened to the other 4%, you know? (laughs) Once I got through school and then through uni and, you know, I still was always the one in the family who did the things you weren't really meant to do. So when I, this is jumping way ahead, but like I ended up working in media, my dad, I don't think he processed that. I think he was kind of like, well, that's not, I mean, it's not a a proper job. So when are you going to do the proper thing? (laughs) Like I left uni and I was a lawyer for a bit and I think he was happy with that because he'd got his head around the idea that law was a job, like a proper job. But when I left law and moved into academia and then started doing media, he was just like, I mean, this is fun and games, but this this isn't. That's a wild change really. Yeah. 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 Well, for him. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because I think it's that migrant mindset, right? Where you're worried, which I I totally respect, you know, like you're worried about security. Migration is an insecure thing to experience. That's right. So what you want is security. Security. And media is not, doesn't feel secure. It feels like it's (laughs) gone like that. You know, you wake up one morning and suddenly it's over that, that sort of thing. So, um, I remember my, my dad, um, he, he passed away in, um, 2014. And so that was two years before I won the gold Logie. Right. And I remember sitting there thinking, what would dad say now? And it came to me in a flash. I said, I know what he'd say. He'd say, congratulations, Waleed. You've done quite well. Now go and finish your PhD. <laughs> that would have been, his, know, you know, I think that would have been his reaction. So Amazing. he always had that. My brother was a doctor, right? So he did it properly. You you go to uni. Yeah, your brother followed the you whole study, pathway. You study, you do a real it? job. You get you work hard within that job. Yeah. He's, he becomes a surgeon. So he's the good one, and I'm like the one who's sort of just the black sheep. Yeah, yeah. There's always one, they say. Yeah, and I think my brother sees me a bit that way. Like, we, my brother's one of the most important people in my life, and a huge influence. Amazing, on me. brother. Michelle. Yeah, we've had him at the retreat, mashallah. Like, yeah, he's, he's, he's one of the yeah. yeah. Um, but he will often make some kind of remark about how I'm just the one who seems to do things that you're not meant to do, and it works out. Whereas he's the one who does what you're meant to do and then gets frustrated that it's more difficult than it's I, meant to be. I, to be honest, I called him a few times. He hasn't answered me. Yeah. I really wanted to get some dirt on you. But yeah, I know. He didn't answer. Yeah. I know he'll have everything that's, on you. That's the good thing about a brother who does has a real job. <laughs> he doesn't answer. You can't get him. I'll protect him. Yeah, but no, no. To, I was at Vermont Primary and then Vermont Secondary up until year 11. But year 11 I went to Wesley. Wow. For two yeah. years. But I only went, my brother, my dad had been desperate to get me there for years and I Why? always refused. Why? Because he just thought it was a great school. And, mm. and because dad, well, both my parents, but because dad valued education so much, he would sacrifice anything to put me in the best educational position. Yeah. That was his thing. And so for him, it was like, this is a great school. <clears throat> he enrolled me in year seven. I was just refused to go. He enrolled me in year nine. I just refused to go. Oh, wow. And then eventually in year 11, I gave up and I, and I went, but you know, I wanted to be with my mates. Yeah. yeah that's the thing, yeah. In year 11, um, I was, it can't, you know, it's like, well now it's VCE. Mm. So for those outside Victoria, that's the high school. Serious time. Yeah. The equivalent of HSC or I guess yes. GCSEs or yeah. something. Anyway, um, I could do a VCE or, um, 
the or Wesley was offering the IB, the International Baccalaureate. It was yeah. like a global certificate, whatever. And it was a better program. And I eventually accepted that and then went. The IB, but it was like, um, yeah, it, it was it was a big moment because that was the moment where the educational argument became just overwhelming. And I kind of, I, I succumbed to my dad's vision. I often gets t- talked about that I went to a private school, but it was literally only two years. Yes. Um, oh, they were an enormous two years, like obviously, but um, everything else before that was was just state Do schools, you believe yeah. we would still have the Wali Ali that we have today if you didn't? If I didn't go? Probably not, actually. Or maybe a different version. Yeah. Going through your high school time and all that, like our identity as a Muslim, did that play in any way for you? Did that, Wesley, did that something yeah. like stand out? Like we would have been many Muslims at Wesley for sure. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, there weren't many in Glen Wyville. There was quite a growing Asian community, but it was more sort of um, like East Asian, you know, Chinese. Yeah. Or <clears throat> I was a lot more Chinese there now than there were, but like it's that part of Asia, yes, not yes. like India, Pakistan. Yes. Um, certainly not Middle East. There were one, maybe one or two other Muslims, but that's about it. But I was kind of used to that. I was everywhere I went. That's that was the situation. So when I played cricket, I was the only guy with a name that no one could figure out how to say. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I think, well, it's not that hard. But yeah, not as armored. Like well, yeah, yeah. You got I, I, went to, I went to St. Joe's in North Melbourne. So yeah, year eleven right. and twelve was sa- mm. similar sort of circumstance. We had. Yeah. We went to St. Jo- I went to St. Joe's North Melbourne. Mm. Year eleven and twelve, which is a completely different culture crash for me compared yeah. to Faulkner High. Yes, you know yes, what I mean. Yes. So, but uh, subhanAllah, it, and it is. It's a different dynamics. You're, yeah. you're, you're sort of the caliber of people are different. Yeah, that is the. The thinking is different. The teachers are different. The culture of the school. The cultures are different. Like I, I have only good things to say about Vermont primary and secondary. I had great times there and they were really good schools. But the big thing I noticed was when I went to Wesley was that was a place where they just expected they, – they put in you the idea that, well, of course you could do X, Y, Z. Yeah. So they go, oh, well, our former students are Robert Menzies mm. or – Harold Holt. I mean, it didn't end well for Harold Holt, but, you know. <laughs> um, or at that time, Michael Klim was a Wesley student. Mark Philippousis was a Wesley yeah. student. So the thing about it is when I think about Vermont Secondary, there are a couple of guys there who was really good at basketball for us and they played for the Boomers in the Olympics. So it's not like it didn't produce people, yeah. mm. but I guess the thing that private schools do – especially those old ones that yeah. do really well is they're great at talking about themselves yes, and talking yes. about their, and so it just, I think puts in the students this sense that, well, why not? So I literally went to school with people who just said, oh yeah, I'm going to be the prime minister of Australia, yeah. which is never anything I wanted to do. But the fact I would never have run into that, I think mm. at Vermont, anyone who said that it would be just like, what are totally you? Yeah, yeah. So arrogant, like yeah. that—that's the way yeah. it would have worked. Totally, yeah. So the, it was same, a, same belief in yourself. Yeah, this is the, most important. That, that, yeah. I think that's what it is. I think you saying that now sort of helps me reflect on my journey. Is that there's a lot more people at private school that believe in themselves purely because they like you said, the culture there has a lot of belief yeah. in itself. Mm. So you can't help but you take it on. Take it on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. some of it is you know money. Like people who are used to being in situations yes, yeah. where they do have some form of power, even if it's economic or whatever, but not all of it is. Yeah, some of it is just is just cultural in that way. So, you know, that was the kind of school environment I was in, but I was, yeah, I was always a minority. But the fact that I was a Muslim was always, it was never anything I hid. Everyone kind of knew it. 
the number of conversations I had as a kid in primary school, it was like, okay, so you know how you're Christian? Well, I, I'm not. <laughs> like that's how it would start, oh, yeah. you know, and it would come up. Yeah, like, you know, RE, like religious education, and I wouldn't be in the classroom or whatever. Yeah. And so it would trigger these sorts of conversations. Yeah. There were sort of moments, you know, um, praying at school and stuff like that. You know, I guess that's where the Islam stuff becomes yeah. really central. Mm. I remember one time I was praying in, like, I don't know, one of the storerooms or something, and a teacher just walked in <laughs> on me. <laughs> and I don't even, I can't, it's a shame I can't remember this. I don't know whether I'd just done this or I'd got approval. So I don't know if I was meant to be there oh, or not, so, <laughs> which is quite an important detail. One of those grey moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so there were, there were moments like that. Yeah. Um, you know, Ramadan, obviously, so fasting, fasting at school yeah, yeah. as I got older and things like that. I, know that feeling. I, I got caught yeah. with my foot in the bloody, in the sink. Know, in the sink, you know, that one. Everyone has a foot in the seat story. Yeah, that, that one for me was, I'm making wudu, I said to him. Yeah. Yes, you're doing voodoo. Yeah, yeah. He goes, are you voodoo? It's, it's, what are you worshipping? I'm like, no, 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 it's ablution. I'm just yeah, using yeah, the correct terminology. Yeah. It's, it's a real shame those words are so similar. <laughs> it really is. He got me, he got me because he was like, and he, he was disgusted because, yeah. what the hell are you doing putting a foot in a sink? Yeah. It's like, that's the worst thing you could do. And I'm like, no, I'm just... Doing ablution, part of our praise. Yeah, you have to yeah. start explaining. That. It's a very hard thing to explain yeah, is, in that it situation. <laughs> it is it's much really. easier over a coffee or something like that, but in that situation, it's hard. yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So that. yeah, the, but being a Muslim was obvious. It was definitely present throughout, um, throughout. But it wasn't. It was a different way of relating to people than it is now or than it would become. Because obviously, September 11 changed everything, yeah, and suddenly being a Muslim meant something very different. Yeah. Right. Yes. It's not that there weren't prejudices before or like people would find you a bit weird or whatever. That would happen, but it wasn't radioactive in the way that it sort of became. But I was at uni by that stage. What was that? So September 11 was? 2001. So I would have been towards the end of uni. I was, I think, fifth year. Uh, Because engineering law was a six-year degree, so I was at uni for a long time. And it was was sort of near the end of that. So... um, but I was also involved in the Islamic Society at Melbourne. Yeah, I know, ICV, mashallah, you did amazing stuff there. Yeah, well, yeah, well, ICV was a couple of years later, but at that time I was, I think I might have been the president of the Islamic Society at Melbourne Uni, or if not, then on the board. I just yes. can't remember the exact timing. There, there was just some, it was just a lot of stuff like that. So, um, but, you know, you're at a different age then and you're handling it in a different way and mm. you're doing different things. If I was in year eight when that happened, yeah, different. I don't know. I mean, that, that would have been a really hard age to be, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So now you're at Melbourne Uni. Yes. Why Melbourne Uni? Did you have different offers or that was the only offer you had? Uh, that, that was the preference that I put. I think I, my brother went to Melbourne Uni. I sort of, I think there might have been something to do with what was offered, like the version of the engineering law degree at Melbourne was different. It might've been something boring like that. The big question I had to ask was whether I wanted to stay in Australia because one of the advantages of doing the IB was that it, um, it's an internationally recognized certificate. So do I try to get into like Oxford or something? It was all that sort of stuff, but I never really thought about that for too long because I don't, in the same way as I didn't want to leave my you know, my suburb to go to a school down the road. I didn't want to leave the country to go to <laughs> a university. So who knows how that would have yeah, played wow. out if I'd gone and done something like that. It so, does, yeah, yeah I, just, I just went to Melbourne and, um, uh, you know, because I think it just always felt like the uni. I, did, I wasn't attached to Monash at that stage, which is ironic since I ended up at Monash, like yeah. to studying and teaching later. But it was, yeah, it was just kind of like um, it felt like a natural 
sort of a progression. So you were there for how long? Six years. Six years, mashallah. Yeah, yeah. It's a long time to be at uni. Yeah, mashallah. Yeah. It, it really changes your mind, doesn't it? It changes the way you think, the way you yeah. interact. It, it sort of refines your mind, uni. For better and for worse, I yeah. think. <laughs> yeah. And then once I got to the end of uni, it was about what I wanted to do. So do I want to become a lawyer or do I want to do something else? And media was always the other thing, and I sort of pretended to go. So media, media, media was another thing. Th- it was sort of a thing I thought about, but I didn't do very much about. I remember by the time I got to the end of uni, I um, I applied to the Age, the newspaper, for a cadetship. So they take these people out of uni. I think you have to have a degree, any degree, doesn't matter what it is. You have to go, and then you'd sit an exam, and they might do interviews or whatever, and then they choose their cadets, right? And you go through. And so I applied and I got the exam date and the exam date was the same day as the grand final. So I just didn't go. <laughs> oh, wow. It's like, no, nah, I'm watching the grand final. <laughs> That's more important. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> nice. um, it's incredible. And around that time I got offered a job f- straight out of uni as what's called a, a legal associate. So this is like in the family court. Yeah. So I went from there to a commercial law firm and I did what's called articles and then I ended up actually weirdly um, in and the what was called the public law team. So that meant my main client was the state government. And so I was doing a lot. This is actually actually now I think about it is actually important because for me because it gave me an understanding of pub the public world, like the world of politics, the like all these sorts of things in a way that meant I sort of got that sometimes the arguments or the disputes are not about the thing that we think they're about. Mm. They're about technical, right, arguments that, right. So you sort of, I sort of got to understand that. But the other thing, and this was really important for me, was it gave me a really deep love of fiqh. I was reading high court judgments or I remember one time I got sent to the Supreme Court Library to find some I don't know what it was, Irish case from the 1860s or something, like all these things you're reading. And then I would read a book that someone's written about, you know, all sort of fiqh or something. Mm. And I would go, oh, this is the same argument. I mean, I was always a Muslim, right? But it it sort of gave me a really deep respect and a, a love for the Islamic tradition. Not like what are the different conclusions? Because yes. I think growing up, you think it's about where you put your hands. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> it's not about that. It's yeah. about how did you get to that destination conclusion, right? Yeah. Was, you, you sort of bridged that gap, didn't you? Really, to Islam yeah. and law, yeah. you bridged it in your own self. And you own, that's amazing how you sort yeah. of bought that. And yeah. that would enrich your Islamic sort of Yeah, it sort of gave me a, identity, didn't a, it? Totally, yeah. Yeah, because, uh, you know, I think there are lots of ways into Islam and a lot of people have different ways into it. But at the bottom line, I think especially for young people in an environment that where they're at the very least a minority and they might feel hostile, is I think they probably, we're all looking for something to latch onto that, mm. I don't know if makes us proud is the wrong phrase, but it's something like that, mm-hmm. right? Where we can go, no, that, that warms my heart in a way. That's something that I that really speaks to me or yes. really resonates with me. And for me, I mean, I don't want to give you the impression that everything about Islam was law for me, but that was the moment it became deep and rich. Law, yeah. 
Whereas for other people, it's a totally different thing, right? They'll yes. have different ways. It's, into a, it's amazing. Everyone, everyone has different light bulb moments. It's kind of like through it, having different guests at, on, on the podcast. It's amazing it, different things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enlightens through you for mm. him to bring you through to him. Totally. And, and, and it depends on about your mind, the way you think. Sometimes it's about the way you are as a human. You know what I mean? Yeah. SubhanAllah. Like, you know, we've had brothers that, you know, it was yeah. just Allah. just a differentiation. Somebody who's a who, who's white, blue eyes coming up to him and telling him, hey, read the Quran. And yeah. it's like, hey. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? That was something that was a profound moment. Profound yeah. moment. How's this white, blue eyed yeah. kid telling no, me? I know how to read Arabic. I know how to read yeah. Arabic. You know? like, you but know? you know what? It's interesting you say that because I, the point I was making before about feeling pride, I think that's why Muslims get so overexcited about convert stories. Because I, th- I think it's that, right? It's like... <laughs> Oh, hang on. I thought this was just for people who were born with it and didn't really, <laughs> yes. like, it's just, just sort of ran into it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, oh, no. And then it, it, they become inspirational more than they should, really. Like, we shouldn't be relying on that. But it's, I guess it's human nature. You, it is. It is. You, just, you, you have these things that get reflected back to you. And so for me, that was like, it, it, it was just a profound, right? I don't want to call it a moment because it was actually a period of years. Yeah, you can but, say, yeah. but it was profound because it also made me understand in a much deeper way, why Muslims are so diverse yeah, and why we reach completely opposite. When I say we, I don't even mean just us. I mean the ulama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's completely opposite conclusions based on the same thing, whatever. And I came to love that rather love than that. to be yeah. confronted yes. or confused by and it. And I think there's a lot of our youth currently are confronted by it. <clears throat> and I've had people say to me, oh, why there's so many different opinions? You know, we think so differently, we yeah. act so differently. But subhanAllah how Islam subhanAllah enters us through so many different portals. Yeah. And, and alhamdulillah. Thank you for sharing that. That's amazing. It's beautiful that you're sharing that because it's, it's a completely different portal. And subhanAllah, yeah. it's good to see like, you know, somebody, like, mashallah, you know, your thinking and your depth, you know, because we can see, mashallah, even listening to you and watching you on TV, yeah, you, you can, can see the depth of your discussions and the amount of thinking you put into those topics, you know what I mean? Allahu Akbar. And sometimes yeah. not everyone can do that. And you can see all that training that you've sort yeah. of gone through, mashallah. Yeah, it yeah, seems like he you. was getting you very prepared. Yeah, yeah. You to get to I, that. Subhanallah, when, we, we sit, when we sit down with individuals like yourself, we can see that Allah subhanahu is planning. Subhanallah, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Just amazing how he's, he's planning for a greater cause that is giving you the skill sets that you've picked up along the way that you didn't realize that it was so yeah. important. Well, even in your own, I mean, everyone would have that with their own life. Yeah, you stop yeah, and think same. about it. Like one thing I, I often think about, because um, I, you know, I often get asked by, that like, it could be school groups or whatever, um, you know, uh, how do you achieve this? Or like, what, what was your plan for this? Or what's your five-year plan now? <laughs> and to be honest, and I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing, I think it's probably a bad thing, but like, I've ne- I'm hopeless. I've never had a plan. Oh. I've never done. I'm, I'm probably the opposite of you guys, right? Because you run businesses, you actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. without that, you guys die, right? <laughs> exactly. But whereas I was just, like, I, I just went through life like an idiot, basically. And just doors open. If there's a door open and I kind of walk through it yeah. and see what happened and, like that's so I had that's the epitome of tawakkul really in a way as well yeah you know? I wouldn't make it that <laughs> noble it was probably more just negligence but sure I'll take it jazakallah khair yeah um, but yeah so like that was kind of the way I, I went through it but I think in the end it's it, I, I, the, the thing I experienced that was is fascinating is every time I made my mind up this is what I want and this is what I'm going for it didn't happen just didn't happen. And so I basically never got what I wanted. And alhamdulillah, because what I got was, well, I assume anyway. Well, you did get what you want because we know about a story that 
You're trying to get something you wanted and then it was yes. rejected a few times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you ended up getting what you wanted. I got a feeling. I feel like I know. We, we, we have inside information. <laughs> yeah. And I'm filled with regret about no. Um, no, not at all. Yeah. Uh, you're referring to my wonderful wife. wife your amazing wife. Yeah. Michelle. No, that's one of my favorite stories when she said to me, I wouldn't marry you if you were the last man <laughs> I'm just just trying to think about you not getting what you wanted. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, no, that, yeah, well, that, that was, but that was an interesting example too. Like, that's cool. Yeah, 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 and and I don't doubt that she meant that when she said that to me. And my response was to, I was obviously very hurt by it, but I was saying, okay, well, and I just went away. And then one day, I don't even remember how long it was now, but she took it all back. Amazing. So, you know, yeah, sometimes oh, it's, it was just things are written. You can't. I love it. She, she tried to resist. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. It was good. But I think about it with um, work, right? Like, you know, towards the end of my time as a lawyer, I was on the board of the Islamic Council of Victoria. Yeah, I see much you guys was, did amazing stuff. It was an incredible time to be there because that, that would have been so challenging. The heat of yeah. the war on terror. Like, you know, it was. How did you get pushed into that is the question. Do you know what? I think it was Yasser Solomon who was the president at the time. Aloha, like, what, a, what a contribution. What a contribution. No one just yeah, we, so we many to, ways. Like Allah I just, Allah. I have so much admiration and affection for that man. But it, so there was him and I think Bilal Cleland were on the board at the time. It would have been 2003. So that's the Iraq wars just started, I think. That's right. Um, and they just asked me, I must have been the president of the Islamic Society at Melbourne Uni or something like that, or I'd just been that. And they just said, hey, would you be interested in being on the board? And I said, uh, yeah, maybe. Let me have a think about it. That's my memory of what I said. And anyway, at the next meeting, which I had no idea about, I was on the board. <laughs> they had approved it. <laughs> I don't think I ever gave my consent. Wow. It just happened. But you knew Ahmed Imam Ramsey then closely? Well, I'm, so Ahmed Imam and Ramsey weren't on the board at that time. Yeah. Oh, wow. That all came later. Oh, yeah. so you were the first. I was, yeah, of that group. And I, I just remember, so suddenly I was on this thing, having not really said I w- was going to do it, I was doing it. And then it kind of came out somehow, I don't remember the exact sequence of events, but I kind of ended up being the media guy on it. Yeah, the media and at that thing. time there was a really big thing, which a lot of people have forgotten about, which would have been the religious vilification case against a group called Catch the Fire Ministries the ones, who held yeah. some seminar oh and they God, said yeah. some stuff about Islam and about Muslims and there were some Muslims at the thing and they were upset about it and they wanted to bring this case. But that all happened before me. Yes, yes. And then that case happened in... Uh, VCAT, the administrative tribunal. So not quite a court, but it's slightly a level below. And maybe because I was the legal guy or something, um, suddenly out the front staring at cameras and press conferences talking about this thing, which had nothing to do with me. I mean, I just happened oh, to be. Wow. So that was your first sort of. So that was kind of where it came in, yeah. And And in the lead up to that, I'd started trying to write pieces here and there in newspapers. And I managed to get one published, or one or two published, and I was so blown away that I'd managed to do this because I just thought that would never happen and all this sort of stuff. I remember the first article I ever got published was in The Age, The Sunday Age, November 24, 2002. I still remember it. And I remember I didn't sleep that night. Wow. And then I remember hearing the paper get delivered and landing on the driveway. Oh, was, ah, it was just... What was that one about? One. That was about... 
Fred Nile in New South Wales had said something about banning, either banning hijabs or niqabs or abayats or something like that. I think it might have been all of it. And I wrote this piece about it. And then um, I remember hearing John Howard, who's the prime minister at the time, he didn't disagree with it. He just said, I don't have a clear response. Wow. And I was just like, wow, this is a moment. And so I wrote this thing and via a long process we can kind of get to, um, it, it ended up being published in Sunday Age. And I was just, it, it, it felt like, you know when you're a kid and you're, it's your birthday? Yeah. That's what it felt like. It's so the only time I've had that feeling as an adult. Where have been one of the proudest moments? Yeah, we just it just it's funny. I don't actually think about it that often now, but yes, like at that time, it was yeah, just that, that feeling. Yeah, it was like well, literally like the age, yeah. like this thing. Because when I was a kid, I used to sit on like the ducted heating at home <laughs> and open up the age. It was broadsheet, right? It was like bigger That's than right, yeah. I could have slept under it. That's right. And I was just like, suddenly, oh wow. I'm in, I'm going to be in that. Like it just, it's just hard to get my head around, right? Anyway, so that was that was a huge moment, and that was before the ICV stuff. So maybe it was partly I'd been doing a little bit of that, and that's kind of how the media stuff all grew. But the, to go back several threads of conversation, like one of the only things I really wanted to do was be a columnist for the Age. Wow! And when I was at a lawyer, that's kind of all I wanted to do, and it was the only one of the only times in media really that I put myself forward and I was like, hey, you know my writing, do you think we could? And I could not get through the door. I could never. They, I got close at one point. They were thinking maybe we could do a thing where you join us as staff and there's a column involved but there's other things and whatever. Wow. And I just, it didn't matter what rain I pulled. It didn't matter what I said. It, I could not. And I just thought this will never happen. And this would have been around 2007. So by that time I'd been writing quite a lot. I had a book come out in 2007. So it's not like I hadn't written or hadn't published. Like it, yeah, I was oh, kind of, oh. but I could not, I couldn't. Couldn't crack it. I couldn't. And so this is an example of that thing where it's like, I had a plan and Allah had a plan. That's, that's, amazing. that's amazing. So whatever I wanted something, no, but like, um, <laughs> but getting into, uh, media properly. So my first full-time media job or near enough was on radio at the ABC. I didn't ask for that. They, that, they came to me after that. I ended up at on commercial television, right? Yeah. On the project. But before I, that, before that, we know of something. Yes. Okay. Channel 31. Yeah, Channel 31. Come on. We can't forget that. Well, even this one, right? So this is, you know, <laughs> tell, tell us how that came about. Come on. We're, Channel you know, 31, you know, man. You know, we, were, we were there on Channel 31 every <laughs> oh, <laughs> waiting to watch I mean, this, this is the highlight. I, so it was a group of friends. Most of us had either grown up together or known each other for a yeah. while. A lot of the YMA guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That sort of thing. Dagger got involved Dagger. towards Dagger. the end. Yes. Dagger towards the end. <laughs> yeah. They're like, Ahmed Imam and Ahmed whatever, they were from the start. We were playing a board game at my house. I can't remember the game. Maybe categories or Pictionary or something. Anyway, and somehow the idea of a show on community TV came up. I don't know how. And um, Susan and I were talking about, oh, that sounds like it'd be a great idea. But that was it. We just left it. But Ahmed Hassan being Ahmed Hassan, if anyone knows Ahmed Hassan, you will know, like, an incredible guy as well. But he, <laughs> he's just like, okay, I'll just look. And he just... He rang them and he did the thing and he just asked if this, they could do this and whatever. And he came back and goes, yeah, it's quite achievable. Like, and he's very quiet sort of way. And this is how we do it. So even that, 
I didn't put in, I can't claim the, I didn't put in the effort to make that happen. It just sort of happened, happened. right? Yeah, like, isn't that amazing? So, yeah. And then we did that for a few years and we won like the Channel 31 or the, yeah, and, yeah, I remember the that Golden one. Antenna or whatever it was called and um, all that sort of stuff. And then SBS, they came to us and said, hey, we think this could work on SBS. And we did that. Maybe it was the perfect experience for everything that would come later once media became my dominant job. But like you get in a way used to the hate mail and you begin to learn from it what matters and what doesn't. Mm. And I, I don't know, there were, there were people who were telling us off for laughing. Mm. That extreme and that extreme. And there were people, there were non-Muslims who were, because we got hate mail from non-Muslims. Yeah, right? get it from both ends. Yeah, and, there, and there were people who were saying things like, I didn't know Muslims would, could laugh. Or so when you have those two things together, you kind of, it's clearer to you what you're actually doing. Mm-hmm. In some way, the criticisms clarify things for you. Um, it's like one of the two big, rubs pulling you but that way. Yeah, but it, it also means, okay, so you've told me why this is necessary in a way, mm. not meaning to, but you have, and you've told me, why this approach is the wrong approach. Like that's, mm. that's kind of, and you sort of navigate low, yourself. Yeah. There's a great, and I don't mean to make, cast this into really high terms. There was a great statement, I think, uh, I'm, I'm more than happy to be corrected. I think it was Omar uh, ibn al-Khattab, yeah, who described taqwa as walking between two thorns. Mm. Yes. Um, I'm not trying to say, you know, Salam Cafe is like the peak of taqwa, <laughs> but I just mean... It's a bit like that. Yeah. Navigating. You're constantly getting information from the various thorns. But but you're right about the community at that time. Like was it was there it was the height of intra communal sectarianism. Mm. There were some really quite hardcore attitudes. Yeah. And the big thing we used to get um, attacked for was having men and women on the same desk. Yes, 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 I remember. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 we used to get that a lot. The, which was yeah. fast, yeah. And I, my favorite bit of hate mail, and I think that was actually part of the laughing thing. I don't think they were opposed <laughs> to us laughing. It was how can you laugh in the presence of the opposite sex? <laughs> I guess that was like, yeah, okay. I mean, I sort of get what you, but yeah, they wanted the shield between you. Yeah, and the, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know what exactly. And you, and you started. What's called as well was uh, the comedian uh, Nazim. Nazim was Nazim. doing uh, part of that. Yeah, yeah. So he got yeah, the, and a lot of sketches and things like sketches, that. Sketches, yeah. But right. I think um, one of the things about it was. Uh, yeah, the, the, with the mixed desk. My favorite bit of hate mail was, I think, directed at me, and it was like, um, what does your wife think of what you're doing? And I was like, that is my wife. She's right. <laughs> she's right there. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I thought, they're not watching that closely. Yeah. Like, they're not paying that much attention. It's and it's not that they have no, like, it's, I, I don't deny people their criticisms. Like, fine. But, you kind of realize the ones you can go, that's not, we shouldn't pay undue attention yeah, yeah, yeah. to that. And the thing, I, big thing I learned through that is sometimes the best thing is to keep going. Mm. I mean, because what was amazing is we got to channel 31 and then suddenly they loved us. Sorry, to so SBS. Suddenly they loved us because, oh, oh, wow. This is like, like it's become a success. And then people attach themselves to 
to the success of it in, yeah, a, in a weird sort of way. Everybody just lives up to the success. Yeah, there's sort of I a different that. attitude. That yeah. Now can I, get a, can I get an ad? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> this was the, the, it was kind of this, this weird sort of a thing. Yeah. But also, you know, these were, we were making it with people who had been sincere Muslims for all their lives. Like it wasn't. Yeah. So good, 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 good bunch. Yeah, we, yeah. Call you, we call you the A team. Really, I don't yeah, know. We call you the A team because <laughs> yeah, yeah. ICV. Yeah. Oh, that sort of stuff. Yeah. you guys did a lot of good work. But I wasn't. Mishallah. I wasn't. Yeah, definitely not part of that. I mean, I, but I'm thinking about like you know, I mean, Ahmed Imam. Literally, his dad's an Imam, and his mishallah, dad was mishallah, a guest on our show. Mishallah, like, mishallah, yeah. if if what we're doing is that bad, I don't think the Sheikh is rocking up yeah, to. Yeah, so there were things like that, and we we had clear rules. So I was like. No, we don't make fun of Islam. We're not going to do that. Yeah. Um, we'll make fun of ourselves. Yes, yes, yes. Well, oh, well, even, even watching it, I was like amazing to see the the ability for Muslims to be actually seen on TV. Yeah, yeah. Let alone, you know, having, you know, because we, we could resonate with what you were talking about, what you were, the subjects you were talking about. It was amazing. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of Muslims, that's the other thing you don't forget is the vast bulk were on board. And yeah, you can yeah, yeah. you can always get lost in paying attention yeah. to the critics. Yeah. And I, I, I want to be really careful here. I'm not one of these people who says just ignore your critics. I think it, it's – and this was, you know, Imam Ghazali made this point, that the, the, the testimony of your enemy is one of the ways that you a mirror is held up to yeah. you. Right? So I don't think you discount these things, but it also doesn't mean that they're – you just – I mean concede all the time, mm. you don't have to have fights about it or whatever. But that's, you know, so we had, yeah, but we had those clear red lines where it's like we're, we're not going to make fun of anything sacred. That's not what we do. We're not going to, you know, veer off into kufr for the sake of a, a laugh. Yeah. Mm. That's not what we do. And sometimes the criticism would come in and you'd go, no, they've actually just got that bit wrong. Yeah. Like they've actually... They think that us laughing at Muslims and the stuff we do and get up to is us laughing at Islam and that's not yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. And we would laugh at each other. One of my favorite things that we used to do occasionally was Ahmed Hassan would do a segment. I don't know how long this lasted, but it was called uh, It's a Muslim Thing. And he would just talk about stuff that exists in the world that actually Muslims either invented or made a big contribution to. So I think he did one on coffee once and yes, he, he might have done one on algebra and stuff yeah. like this, right? And I really loved that segment because he's totally sincere. He loves that stuff. Yeah. He, he lives for that stuff, him, right? Yeah. He will know all of the bits and pieces of it. Like he just he loves it. But at the same time, the setup was kind of he does this and then we tease him for just never shutting up about this oh. stuff. And it kind of works at least that's my memory of how it works. And it, it kind of works well, right? Because he gets to say his thing. He gets to be, a, people get to get a sense of him as a character. He is the guy who's into this. Not all Muslims are obsessed with this. At the same time, it's interesting stuff for a, an audience, especially a non-Muslim audience that may never have heard of this stuff. But we're not taking ourselves too seriously. And we're kind of going, yeah, yeah, we get it. The glory days, okay. Like it, so in, in a vehicle like that, so many things about Muslim life and attitudes of the community are reflected, right? Yeah. And it's just little things like like that that I think were, you know, I think Nazim, the stuff Nazim did, and uh, and also Armour because they were really close friends. Um, like some of the stuff they did was I thought brilliant because it it, it was making multiple points at the same time, yeah. right? right. Yeah. It, you know, it would it would lampoon 
like really radical positions that were kind of a bit out of touch with the community at the same time as it would lampoon the people who kept trying to attack Muslims on that basis was able to do those things. And so, I mean, that's, that's a lot of skill and, you know, it's it's no accident that, you know, these guys have gone on to do. Dagger was fun. My my funny man. Dagger should have been David Chappelle. Well, because, because Dagger, well, I mean, this is the thing. A lot of these guys, I knew from like the YMA camps, the entertainment yeah, night that happened yeah. on the last night of camp or whatever, the they'd get up and do all these crazy yeah. stuff. So I think Dagger, this was around the time Gordon Ramsay was That's really right. big and so yeah. Dagger started doing Chef right. Ramsay. <laughs> Chef Ramsay. Chef Ramsay. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. I mean, it's just, you know, you look back on it, it's, I'm sure it's very stupid, but, but part of it was being stupid, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, even that, you know, so kind how, of how did the pro- Take us through how, how did the project come about? Because obviously said, you know, felt these, these things are falling onto you. Yeah, so I knew people at the project literally when it launched because a lot of them came from the ABC. So I kind of knew the guys and I was involved, but I was never on the desk or anything. And I had nothing to do with them for years, right? There was gaps in all this. But then the big thing that happened was actually the 10th anniversary of September 11 because they wanted to do a special show for that. So obviously 2011. Right. So they were just seeking my views on Advice. what sort of things they might want to cover. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, it's not up to me to tell them, but I just said, oh, you might not know about this or you might have heard about it. And they did a bunch of stuff. And well. from my memory of it, they did a really good job. And so a month later, they asked me to come in again. And then they started asking me to do that on a weekly basis. Eventually they turned around and offered me that job. So that's kind of how it happened. But so all of this was kind of, I don't know if accident is too strong a word, but it's not it's not far off an accident. Like I was about, I guess, I mean, I was interested and they would have known that, but I wasn't knocking on a door. I wasn't sending in my resume to, it it wasn't that kind of situation. Media doesn't work work that way often. Right. Um, So it kind of all just happened. Organically. Yeah. It's like it happened to me. It's not quite right, but you know what I mean? It's yeah. I remember the first time I ever hosted the show as in sat in Charlie's chair I'd literally never seen the show. So I was, this was really, early. this was like 2011. I had been in Jakarta for some conference and I flew overnight, the overnight flight to Australia. And I had to get back to Australia because I was giving a speech somewhere and I was jet lagged and I had a headache and I was busy. And I got this call from the producer, the same one who asked me about what to do with the 10th anniversary of 9-11 show. And I just said, he said, oh, Charlie's sick. Do you reckon you'd be prepared to fill in for him? And I was like, this is a terrible idea. I'm jet lagged. I feel terrible. I don't really have time for this today. No, of course not. But for some reason, what came out of my mouth was, yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) And then he said, okay, don't lock it in yet. It may not happen. I've got to go through all the official things, but I just thought I'd check. And then we went away. I went and did my thing. And then he got back to me and said, you're on. And suddenly I'm in this situation where it's like, well, what have you done? Wow. But I've got to do it. Yeah. So I went along and then I I talked myself into it because I thought, you know what? What's the worst that can happen? It can go absolutely terribly and it'll be really embarrassing and then it'll be over and I'll have a story to tell for the rest of my life. Or it'll go well and then, well, who knows? Anyway, I went there, I did the show and I I distinctly remember before the last segment, so we're in the ad break just before the last segment, and I distinctly remember having this thought and I just went, well, we'll Walid, here's one thing you've discovered that you definitely cannot do. (laughs) That was absolutely, I was like, well, you know, but I was fairly happy-go-lucky about it. It's just like, yeah, well, it's just you, you may as well have a go and see what happens. 
Um, and then I remember getting out of the studio, finished the show, I was getting changed and the executive producer came down and he got off the phone and he said to me, and I don't know if this is true or not, I assume it's true, I don't know why he would lie. He said to me, um, I didn't tell you this before, but we had a focus group watching this show in Sydney or whatever and I just want to say that was great, congratulations, oh, feedback's amazing. And I was like, wow, I didn't expect that. Anyway, so I guess what I'm saying with that story is it was all really a story of an opportunity came. I didn't overthink it terribly much. I figured I didn't have that much to lose. I kind of did it and then stuff happened. It's kind of like, like speaking to you now, I've realised you, you, you never, never shy away from giving it a go Yeah, and see where it takes you. Yeah. Is that pretty much? Yeah. Not like, even like just hearing all your stories, it's like, okay, Sam Cafe came up, let's try it. The radio came, let's try it. It's not like you're like... This is the place to be. I'm going to yeah. do this, but you're always giving it, giving it. Yeah, a try. which I don't. I don't know if that's the typical. That's not the self help book that you normally yeah, read. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. But it's kind of what happened to me, and it's I think that, so. So I often it's it's a tricky situation because I get asked a lot by like you know journalism students or whatever. How do you do whatever? And I'm like, guys, I'm the worst person to ask because. I, I don't, I don't know. I didn't have, a, I but we should ask him. I want to start a burger business. <laughs> <laughs> you probably say yes. Sure. <laughs> um, the, the Walid burger. Yeah, yeah, imagine that. Yeah. But, but it was like, I think what it was in the end was, um, I wasn't afraid to stuff up. Like my first ever radio shift was like that. They, they asked me to fill in on local radio in, Melbourne. So this was ABC on seven seven four. Yeah, is the, the thing. drive, isn't it? The drive, the morning drive. I was I filling in for John Fane. Yeah, yeah John Fane. That's right. I remember yeah. listening to you that one. Yeah. Was he one of your mentors as well? Yeah, I'll get to mentors in a sec. Yeah, actually, because nice. this is a really interesting story. But he, I remember doing that, and they asked me, "Would you want to host?" And I was like, "That's a terrible idea. I don't have the skills for that. Like, I, I, I accept I have some skills, but I don't have Radio those skills." skills. And they actually talked me into it, and then I went and did it. But it was the same thought process. It was like. Well, what's the worst that can happen? I'm embarrassed for a bit. <laughs> but then you know what happens? Someone else does something embarrassing pretty soon after that and then they become the, like just so wow. in a way it was kind of I didn't appreciate or think that much about the enormity of well, I, don't, I still don't know it was enormous. But I don't think about it that that's I didn't good. think about it that that's way. Right. That's how we thought when we first started the podcast, yeah. isn't it? I was like, yeah. well, you know what? What's the worst well, first uh, couple are going to be shocking, but you know what? We'll no. see what happens. Well, yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> one, of, one of the people who was my, I guess, I never had a formal mentors, but like, I guess was de facto mentor. One of the, it, in a totally different um, situation, he just said to me, yeah, your first game is not going to be your best game. Yeah. That's okay. And it's, love yeah. That, yeah. So that it, but the, the principle I learned from that, and this is what I often say to those journalism students or whatever who are asking, is one thing I learned is that action brings reaction. So mm. work brings things. If you do things, then things happen. If you do nothing, then nothing, nothing happens. happens. Nothing that happens. seems yeah. to be yeah. – um, that didn't mean that everything I did was good. It didn't – like, but, but it happened. Mm. Stuff opened up. Um, and that's kind of all you can oh, do, so but yeah. I never did it with a plan. Did you do a lot of short up with your family members, yeah, your yeah. wife and well, things? Because they're big life decisions. Not I didn't do that when it was like come and do one show. Oh. <clears throat> but when it was like when I got offered that radio job at the ABC, that's like, I mean, I was an academic at that point. 
I stayed an academic. I was still doing my PhD and stuff like that. But like, that's a big decision. Mm. Yeah. When you stop and think about it, it's like, oh, <laughs> what people don't, I think, understand about broadcast is it is, uh, it is really wearing. It's really grinding. You're working. Your brain is operating at a really fast, at a really fast speed, mm. and so an hour of doing that feels like five hours of I mean, I mean. of different. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I know that because I've done both kinds of jobs. I've done a job where you're not performing, mm. and even if it's hard work or whatever, there is there is something about performing. Um, I use air quotes there. <laughs> that is draining. Right. So you can't do it for a long period of time. Exactly. But if you're doing it every day, you get tired quickly uh, until you figure out a rhythm and you figure out how to do it without switching your brain on to everything that's happening. You figure out how to focus on this and not worry about that and that sort of thing. So, Can I ask if you don't mind? You know, yeah. you know we're here in our community. Oh, he sold us out. He spoke <laughs> about something. Are you are you governed in relation to what you can say or what you can't? Are you allowed to talk about certain topics or is it just they give you the open platform to do certain things? Can I ask? Yeah, yeah, Um No, I don't think I've ever had anyone say you're not allowed to say X. I don't think I've ever had that. Wow. They might say, we're well, like in the meeting, if I say something, they might go, well, you realise how that will be taken. But they can't stop me saying it. Wow. Um. And, but then there are other limits. So at the ABC, for example, um, and people in the UK who know the BBC would, would know this, would be familiar with it as well, um, you can't take a side on an issue in which there's debate, mm. especially a political one, mm. because that if you do that, especially if you do it in a certain way, you're violating the ABC charter. Whereas on commercial radio, so if you, you know, 3RW or, you know, talkback radio, whatever, it's often all about Your view. opinion. Yeah. So what that means is, you know, there are restrictions like that. I can't come on and tell you what I think of X, Y, Z, unless it's something silly. Like I can tell you, I don't know what the best flavor of ice cream is. That's fine. But I can't, you know, I can't tell you who to vote for. Yeah. Or I can't say this government policy is great. I can ask, I can say, um, you know, uh, I, I can ask people what they think or I can put a question to them that might be something like, um, are there any holes in this or whatever? Yeah. I can, so, so to take an example um, on the ABC, one of the big issues when I was there came up all the time was like asylum seeker policy. So I can't in the course of it. So what I would, I'd have to do these pivots all the time, which I actually really – valued. I think it's actually really important, even though it frustrates people. I'm interviewing someone who's really supportive of our boat people policy in Australia, right? Could be the immigration minister or the prime minister or whatever. And I have to try to ask all the questions that might expose the weaknesses in that position. And then I switch to someone who is a critic of that same policy. Often they'd be from the Greens. Yeah. And now I have to ask all the questions that show that their criticisms are limited mm. or that actually there might be something to this policy. In all of that, my views don't matter. 
But I think what happens is a lot of people don't quite, you know, for, for perfectly understandable reasons, don't quite understand the difference between asking a question and making a statement. Mm. Um, and that often my job is to, and this is true even on commercial television for me, often my job is to ask a question whose thrust I don't agree with. Because in those moments, it's not about my opinion. It's about the view of the guest and giving the audience the opportunity for them to evaluate the guest's argument, especially if they're a politician, right? So that's a different job. Then there are times, especially on commercial te- uh, television, where it is about giving a view. But no, I mean, I've, I've never been controlled in that way. In fact, often they're encouraging me to say things that I, I don't really want to, right? Like an example is um, after the Christchurch terrorist attacks, right? So, you know, a man walks into two different masajid on Jumma and just massacres, you know, more than 50 people. And, and that was, obviously it was Jumma, so it was on a Friday. It's New Zealand, so it's two hours ahead of us, or three even. Yeah. Two, would have been, would have been yeah, a couple of hours, of course. Yeah, two, two hours. hours. And I walk in and I just, obviously it's devastating and I'm like, on those days, it's, I just want to get through the day. It's hard, it's like... It's hard to explain, and I'm not asking for pity, but like on those days, the last thing you want to do is do a show. Yeah. Yeah. But the red light goes on, you have no choice, right? But I remember my boss came to me and said, just have a think about if there's anything you want to say. To be honest, I don't want to say anything. But he was encouraging me to say something. And that day was remarkable because I sat there and I said, all right, eventually I said, look, I'm going to have a go at thinking about it and writing something, but you're not allowed to bank on it. So at any moment Mm. I might turn around and say, no. Mm. So you plan your thing, but plan for the possibility of both. That's the condition. And I sat there trying to write this thing and it was, you know, it was hard to do, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I literally, so the show's on at 6.30 and I literally finished it, I think it was 6.28. Allah Akbar. And they were up to that moment, not sure whether this was going to happen. I missed all the production meeting. I missed all the, we have a rehearsal, which we don't really rehearse the content of the show, but it's more, it's technical stuff. So they know that where the lighting's meant to be for this and that. And all this. I missed all that. Just, just the whole, you know. Um, but that's an example of me saying something that if it were up to me, I wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not that they weren't my views. They were. So actually what happened there is they're encouraging me to share thoughts that like they're pulling it out of me. Yeah. So there's examples like that. Um, yeah, but there might, there might be examples where they say it wouldn't be wise for you to say that, but they're not saying they have a problem with me saying it. They're just saying, I know what you're saying, but that's going to be – it's going to be turned into that. Mm. So do, but that's actually just, that's actually, I mean, in, in a weird way, that's just hikmah. That's not, yeah, yeah. Mm. that's not control. Yeah. So I don't have control in that way. I mean, the stuff you're talking about, it would depend on example by example, but one of the things I've learned, and I learned this from the ICV days, I learned this from the Slam Cafe days, I learned this 
is um, there are times where the community, what is the community anyway? I mean, it's so diverse, but like there are times where what they want is for you to say X. Yeah. But you can't say X because X is the kind of thing that you can only really say when your view is not going to be interrogated or analysed, mm. right? And we all know, like within the community, we'll say things to each other that we just take as as like inevitable and true. <laughs> and then the minute you run into someone out the community and you say the same thing, they're like, that doesn't make any sense or whatever. Every community is like this. Yes. This is not yeah. a muzo thing. It's just yeah, every community is like this. Right. You're right. But like you, it's because your views aren't being tested. Yeah. Properly. You're interrogated. You know? Yeah. Any, every word you use, mm. you know, they even think, like they even give thoughts to your words sometimes. That weren't, that, yeah, <laughs> happens all the time. I mean, sometimes, yeah, but that, and that in a way comes with the territory. Some of it's very deliberate because they can know. You share, can you share like maybe your first moments of uh, of that interrogation, I think, because that sort of defines it, doesn't Ooh. it? Like, can you share of, of like one of the first moments that you cop that interrogation? I remember, I recall some, but uh, like oh. I remember the when you were you know, talk about the catch the fire guys. I remember a lot of oh, yeah. yeah, you you were getting interrogated. I think that was your sort of first all the time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of that because what happens in those sort of cases, you you become part of a culture war. And it's like, guys, I'm not interested in this culture war, but everyone else seems to be interested in it. So you just become used as mm. raw material. And so, you know, I don't know, opinion columnists or talkback hosts and shock jocks or whatever, they'll use your thing and then start raging at you. Yeah. and stuff. I mean, the first time that happens, it's kind of like, whoa. And then after a while you begin to see that it's a game and it's not a fun game and it's a game I'd rather not play, but I can't really help it and that sort of thing. But, you know, like I am. Um, it's part of the territory. Yeah. And to, so that's why I actually find it hard to answer the first time because it became such a constant drumbeat mm. that, you know, yeah. but like. Because yeah, I, I, the reason I'm asking that is because <clears throat> we hear in the community, like you hear yeah. this in the community where brothers saying, oh, you know, Walid Ali was such an amazing representative of our community, he used to speak so much for. He was the spokesperson. Yeah. Some of not not that you were ever a spokesperson. Yeah. yeah. But because you know, doing ICV, stuff, yeah. you know what I mean. So you had you had that sort of platform. They and, took him away from and, us. You know, you know, like is that what they yeah, said? Well, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They took him away from us. Who, like, who yeah. took him well, away? Like, it's like, <laughs> like the media and like yeah, because, ah, right. That's because, you know, I've never heard that until this point. Uh, subhanallah. Like, and we've heard that where Walid was such an amazing representation for Muslims. Yeah. He had an amazing voice. He was constantly speaking. That, that's why I asked and we that felt question. so proud. Silence. Okay. We felt so proud of him being there as a voice. Yeah. And again, I'm not talking about the whole community, but yeah, there was portions, yeah, yeah. I think, of the community that believed that you're quite an amazing voice for That's us. That's very kind of You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and mashallah, you did I, – I, I, I can put my hand in my heart and say, mashallah, you yeah. did amazing stuff because, like, you were speaking of our thoughts in, in a, such an amazing, articulate way yes. that made us feel – like we've never had that platform where we can talk about certain things within the community without yeah. taking it out of context. And actually yeah. amazingly well yeah. in those early stages. stages yeah. And then when we when when people said, like, where's Walid? And suddenly people said, Oh, so now he's been taken into the media world, he doesn't speak for the Muslims anymore because yeah. he's too busy doing other stuff. Or he's contracted. He's contracted and all that. So he's been silenced. Yeah, so, so you know that, what I mean? That's, so that's, that's, that's where that's a, yeah. So that's all untrue as far as if if it's meant in any kind of conspiratorial way. Like, you know, <laughs> oh they, they got him and they, <laughs> they, got him. they took him into an alley. Locked and, him up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not that. And there's no, radio there's, station. there's no <laughs> great conspiracy. Um but it is true. There are things like 
could do as a community representative that I can't do now and that it would be inappropriate for me to do. But there were also, t- but there are things I can do that I could never, I mean, the Christchurch thing's an example of that. I mean, Right. So, and there are other community reps. Like, I don't, it's, it's not like if I'm not doing it, there's no one doing it. You know, but it's an interesting, but, but also, I mean, I remember those ICV days and I remember there were times where they would smash the people in the community would smash you because of things you said in that role that they didn't like. But, but this actually, there's an interesting example that comes from that. So around the time I was doing that, it was all war on terror. The London bombings were a big part of it. Yeah, all this sure. sort of stuff was happening. And remember there were like terror raids were happening. That's it, right. Uh, and I remember this thing kept happening where the homes, like Muslims would be raided. There'd be some ASIO raid or AFP raid or something. And then there wouldn't be an arrest. There'd be nothing. Yeah. Mm. And I remember as, a, as an ICV spokesperson, I would speak out quite strongly against that and I would say, look, if there's a genuine terror threat or whatever, fine. We understand the police have a job to do, et cetera. But where are the arrests? If these are, if this is a serious problem, show us the money. Mm. Right? We, like, like, and because I would hate to think that you've got these security organisations using their power just to intimidate people. And there was a quote I remember in one particular case where they said they were rattling the cages. And I thought, is that appropriate to be using raid powers just to rattle? I understand to gather evidence. I understand to prosecute a case, to lay charge. I understand that. Mm. Just rattling cages. That I'm not so sure about that. And, I, and so I would make that argument and Muslims loved it. Then one day they raided and they pressed charges. So what I think a lot of Muslims in that moment, and clearly not all, but what a lot of Muslims want in that moment was for me to be upset about that. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't be upset I about that if what I've said is, well, go on, yeah. lay a charge. Yeah. Well, now they've laid charges. Amazing. So the only response that was available to me at the time I felt, and the only response I thought that was actually just, fair, and defensible, was to say, we welcome the fact that charges have been laid. If they're guilty, they're guilty. If they're not, they're not. We let justice take its its course. I mean, I don't know what the language I used was, but it was broadly that sort of yeah. sentiment. And you got executed. Well, I didn't get executed, but there were, but there <laughs> were got, people yeah. who were, I don't know, actually, to be fair, and, and I've got to be fair to the Muslim community here, a lot of people were, yeah, we understand yeah. that. Because this is the thing, and like, I don't think Muslims want, you know, terrorists running around. <laughs> yeah. Like that's not, that's not the utopia we're envisioning. So, you know, but I think the Muslims were very sceptical yeah, yeah. that there were people who weren't at all a threat who were being framed. Yeah, yeah. So now, and, and so my big thing in that moment was, okay, now it's in the hands of the courts. We leave it in the hands of the courts. We don't need, you know, politicians or whatever pre- presuming guilt. Mm. But it, that's it's in the hands of the court, right? And that's the kind of thing a lawyer would say, right? <laughs> but but what I what I guess I'm trying to illustrate with that story is there are times whether you get it right or wrong is a separate question. We could have that argument, but there are times where for you to be principled and to apply your principles consistently mm. means you have to say something or take a position that people aren't. 
going to want you to take. Yeah. And the way I felt about it, about that sort of example, was in the long run, me t- being consistent and applying these principles and demonstrating that we're not being unreasonable, we're not just being partisan, we're actually being consistent, that that will pay off more. And also it felt to me the right thing to do, that that will be better than doing the short-term thing of whatever happens, we're just going to get upset. So that's an example. And the same thing happens in the television world. All right. So I hear people all the time will have a, they'll discuss something and they might not be having a go at me. They might be discussing an issue and they'll say something and I can tell that the way they're talking, it's not that it's invalid or necessarily wrong, but it's the way you would talk when you don't actually know the other argument or you don't know the other side of it, whatever. And one of the things about broadcasting is you very quickly to know the other side of a lot of arguments, not always, but a lot. And so there might be times, and I don't know what, you know, people might be complaining about specifically, but there are times where it's like, I know you want me to say X, but we don't understand is that'll be torn apart because I'm sorry to say this, but from where I'm standing and knowing the lay of the land, it's not a great argument. Mm. And I don't say that with disrespect. Oh, well, I don't a, say. It's, it's well, yeah. well pulled I don't pulled like. Pulled I totally. I I have arguments that are not great. We all have. Um, this, this is not. A, but but this is what happens in communities. Is sometimes we have arguments that are not great, and we run with them because we're never really shown. The, the same uh, argument you're having with your wife. It's not worth having sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. 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 But I think it, 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 that's kind of like how you bring that legal world oh, the perspective Allah, because yeah. a client. That's would the BBC with, as well. Yeah. Yeah. I've been able to yeah part of be it. partisan. It really not. You know, what happen, you know what happens to the ABC that's interesting on radio is they, there's a live feed of all the text messages that come in. Oh, wow. So you get to see exactly how the audience is processing. Bang. And there's a lot of times I'll ask a question or say something and someone, bang, there's a text there presenting something I hadn't thought about or having a go at me about whatever. And I'll go, wow, I hadn't thought of that. And that's, do you know, this is the, like, uh, this I think is one of the great things about legal training. And by the way, I'm not trying to say legal training is the ultimate kind of training or doesn't have drawbacks. I like, I understand it. But one of the great things about that is it does give you at least some ability to be able to make an argument from a distance yeah. and go, all right. Cause it, cause in the law, it's like, I'm representing my client. Mm. So I have to make an argument that's in the service of their thing. And that's not dishonest. I'm making the best argument that I can. And then it's for the judge or whoever to decide who, what's the best argument. Okay. But it means that you can make an argument for a group or a client or whatever that you may not in your personal life prefer. Yeah. Right. You may not be on their side, Yeah. but that's a personal judgment. And this is, lawyers always get asked this question, how can you defend a criminal? And, and it's, I mean, I never did criminal law, but that, that version of that. And, I was, and lawyers get very frustrated with this because it's like, no, who's decided they're a criminal? That's for the court to decide, not for me to decide before they have a trial. My job is for them to come. I will give them the best defense if I'm doing that. I'll give them the best defense I can. And if they're guilty and they get convicted, they get convicted. My role is to facilitate the court making that decision. It's not to prejudge someone as a criminal and then deny them that defense. That's how criminal justice works, right? So So you kind of learn that sort of ability. 
Amazing. But the other thing about, and the ABC was very good at this, but I, I would encourage anyone who is interested either in media or even just in public debate, if they want to do it well, I don't mean if they want to just launch, but if they, if they want to do it well, come to understand the argument that you disagree with properly. Not as a caricature, not as some kind of, um, you know, object of hatred and derision, but um, if you can get to the point where you can explain someone else's argument back to them in a way that they would recognize and they go, yeah, that's basically what I think, then you're in a position to disagree with it. Then you're in a position to tear it down. Or well, tear it down is very strong. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, then you're in a position to have it. But if what you are going to do is just launch in without even understanding yeah. the other side of the argument, you're probably going to come up with a bad argument. That is your superpower, mate. Well, that's very well, kind. You just nailed <laughs> your superpower. <laughs> you do that very well. Mashallah, you do. That's yeah. what resonates upon on the yeah. screen. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, like, you like, do you, that. You, even, you yeah. really just that superpower. Well, listen, listening to you just this week, you know, yeah. as we know what was happening you know, currently yeah. out there, Hello, you, you did that amazingly. Yeah. You, know? it's you just, just bring it back home. You bring it back to yeah. that. that. Without, like you said, it, the facts, they're yeah. there, guys. Yeah. And, and it's amazing. It's amazing. It's a hard and, thing to do. It's a hard right. thing. Yeah. Without being, because yeah. <laughs> it's, it's emotional. We're brought up everyone with emotion, this, you know, passion. Everybody wants to take a side. It's just that yeah. and to be in the middle there, you know, Put in, you in, in the middle ground and understanding both sides of the argument and really be fair. And I think, you know, that's what Islam is. You know, mashallah, you presented that so beautifully. It's what Islam is. It's not about taking sides. It's about being honest with an argument that has two sides and really showcasing it and then let the person really see the truth and let them make up their mind. Yeah. Like you do that amazingly, and, and There are times to take a side, but it's not all the time. Yeah. And there are ways of doing it. But I think most importantly, you can only take, I feel it's best only to take a side when you've done justice to the other side. So Otherwise, you're having an argument with someone that doesn't, something that doesn't exist, mm. and I, I, it that, it worries me a little bit. But that people, you know, we we just have this tendency. This is what we do as as humans. Yeah. This is kind of what we do, and you've got to be really. I think I'd be really careful about it. And I'm glad you talk about that as an Islamic thing because that's the way I see it. And other Muslims may not see it the same way, but like I see it that way. Um, I don't. I don't. However much I might have a problem with my opponent, I don't want to wrong them. Yeah. Because yeah. in the end, like, well, you know. Mizan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, right. Allah, well, Allah, well, Mizan. And yeah. this is it. That's the, you know, when, when it's so easy to be a taghut with the Mizan. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's what legal is. That's what law is, is yeah. about being in that middle and understanding yeah. both sides of the argument so and well. not being yeah. that, you know. And mashallah, and I think a, a lot of the audience, you know, I'm talking about the vast audience of Australia, internationally, yeah. mashallah, I think that not many people can do that because everybody yeah. somehow holds on to this opinion of theirs, you know, like in the, or their identity, and they lose and they lose the other half, mm. which is the most important half. Yeah, you know, you, I can have an opinion and scream at the, the screen, and you lose the people that you're really trying to bring to Islam or yeah. trying to awaken, you know, the view of of that topic. Yeah, you, you do and that. it's like you know, I, I'll I'll get it wrong all the time. That that's inevitable because I'm human and. It, it, to me, it's it's not about did you get it right in every instance. It's about the principles or the 
the rules of engagement or <laughs> the, the owner's manual. The chess pieces, <laughs> eh? Well, just the, no, no, no. That, yeah. Wow, you got me there. We know where your queen is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that makes it sound like I'm trying to win everything. It's not. It's not that. It's just you know, it's it's the principles you take into doing your job. Mm, uh, it, well, in this sort of job, yeah, much like it, 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 it is, it is, it is. Look, it is. Look, if you don't know the game, if you don't know the, if you if you go into Monopoly not knowing the rules and when you get your two hundred dollars and <laughs> <laughs> and I have to go around on my own and what six six means. When you know? do I get my two hundred bucks? By the way. <laughs> Yeah. All right, yeah. That's afterwards. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Two hundred dollars worth of pies, I think. Um, yeah, I'm aware of that. No, it, yeah, it, it is. It, it is that, and it's this understanding of being accountable to those who disagree with you. And I, I think the worst thing you can do is get them wrong. You know what you know. You know what I mean. They, they, they're seeing things on a, such a superficial level. On on just on just you know they never. They, it's very hard to dig. You know, mm. and like you know, I've 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 spoken like even before we did the podcast you know I went out to a couple of kids mm. who were like uni students and I said you know what do you think of Walid you know what I mean like just to see that and, yeah. and they're Muslim kids you know what yeah. I mean like Muslim yeah. kids what do you think of Walid oh, oh subhanAllah sometimes you know he doesn't give the Muslims you know the, the, the yeah. argument that he should and one guy goes to me subhanAllah I, I find him a little bit you know the way he presents for Islam is a bit you know uh, you know, he should be more soft on his on Islam and stuff like that. And yeah. I said, and I said, Subhanallah, you guys, it's amazing. Like, and then when I give them that context, I said, uh, it's interesting you say that. Mm. I said, but if you were in a hot seat and you had yeah. that pressure point, you know what I mean? And mm. you had you were dissected so much when you're in the limelight, you're getting dissected, yeah. you know. Yeah. And you're being dissected so much. How would you be? And, and they don't think about that. So that's the that's the yeah, superficial yeah. world that I a lot understand. of our and life. I totally get that because I, I wouldn't either. I don't I think like if yeah. I that, like, and it doesn't mean they're wrong either. By the way, like I'm not I'm not saying that I get it right. I, I'm just saying I do my best. I love it. And yeah. and yeah. you know I think in the end, uh, the way I try to think about it is, um, I have an audience of one, really, and if if I can. If I'm comfortable with this on Qiyamah, then that's actually what matters. What what doesn't matter is what, like whether it got shared a lot, or like that. That's not the bit that matters. And I, I th- you know, I, I'm sort of reluctant to say this because I don't want it to say it, to say share it. like as a thing. But like, I think about that a lot. That Inshallah. that. That's and maybe on Qiyamah I'll have lots of regrets, but I, but inshallah not. And I and I, I think I, you know, there's I'm constantly after guidance, yeah. you know, Allah. from Allah, from other people who I trust, people who also get the situation because that's an important part of it. Like it's a that's a really crucial aspect of it, um, and you know. And it's it's the whole package. Like so, I, you know, I think about this with. I, I fear for people who want a public position or a public role, and this will seem Such like a, a strange, perhaps hypocritical thing for me to say. It is a difficult and tricky place to be as a Muslim, because. It's so easy. There are so many traps. And this is probably true in every line of work, but I think there's something about there is constantly an ego question you've got to be like 
wrestling with in every moment. There's, yeah, I I don't know how to explain this without going on too long, but like, I was, I remember talking to a group of young Muslims on a leadership retreat of some sort. Um, and we were talking about like the kind of work I do. And I, and I, I tried to explain People think that the hard part about my job Islamically or as a Muslim is um, what do I say here or, you know, getting involved in that argument or whatever. And, yeah, they're all relevant. You know, the hardest bit actually, at the risk of sounding unusual, is figuring out how to um, do maghrib with khushur two minutes before you're on air. Allah. That's actually, Allah. Or, or like, like losing those aspects of it. Cause I've had, I've had, it's hard, it's hard to explain it's overwhelming, people understand <laughs> like the, the way that it works. Everyone, when, people would have versions of this in their own job, like yeah. whether they're on a factory floor or running a business, whatever. But like, I remember there were lots of times I'm doing radio. I would, stop at like, uh, let's say, let's call it 7 PM for a five minute break. Cause the news bulletin is on and I have to be back on at 7.05. That's my window. If you haven't got Wadu, you're in massive trouble, <laughs> but it's like, okay, so now I've got to look, there's something about praying with the clock ticking, <laughs> yeah, but they're the things actually the pay I don't mean wow. to say that the stuff with the job itself is minimum. I don't mean that. I just mean there's a whole lot of other stuff that's part of it. And it's very easy to forget those sorts of things. That's so important. Even little things like, uh, and I, I fall foul of this all the time, but like, wow, there's a joke there. I can see it. And it's a really funny joke. And I shouldn't go for it. <laughs> I made a decision once just within myself, for example, I am not going to make any jokes about Donald Trump's appearance. Not a hard joke to make. It's a whole genre of joke. I could even detail the specific things that are constant punchlines. I just made a decision. No, no, that's not what I, that's not what I'm going to do. Um, it's, it's little things like that that actually are, the big things are obvious. I'm not yeah. saying they're not there, but it's little things like that that are kind of the bigger things. And there's something about doing a job that's public that carries certain kinds of risks, not so much about the work, but about the heart. Mm. Uh, and so, uh, you know, social media is really tricky and I think dangerous in that way because it's turning everyone, it's putting everyone in that situation. Um, whereas I, I don't do social media at all. And one of the things yeah, I really value about yeah. that is I do my show. I come off here. I don't need, the world doesn't need to hear from me. I don't need to broadcast anything. Yeah. I don't, it's in this box. There are rules around it. There's a discipline involved in it. Oh, yeah. it like that, that sort of matters to me. And so I, I think it's, you know, great if, if Muslims want to get involved in public affairs and in whatever field, I, I think that's great. But um, uh, all I would say, and this is, I 100% mean this as advice to me as well, is you have to be paying attention to yourself mm. in every yeah. 
moment because it's so easy to for it to become about pride, for yes. it to become about defense. Me, 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 me. But about that, how do you humble yourself? How do you humble yourself? Like, I've well, been with you. Like, I've been with sure you. Like that. Like, I've been with you, like, for example, at how functions, you, and it's amazing how many people line up to want to have a chat to you. Yeah. And, like, you know, you see that. These young kids, they see on TV, they look up to you. You know, like, mm. what, what do you do? Is there anything that you specifically do to you that, that sort of brings you sort of back to that? Yeah, you know? I'm trying to remember... Which scholar it was who said this? I think it was Ibn al-Qayyim, I think. I probably shouldn't say that when I'm not 100% sure. But whenever you're getting praised, you should immediately think of all the ways in which you know it's wrong <laughs> and you remember. <laughs> so often people will say something about me and I go, yeah, if only, if only you knew. <laughs> um, and I think that's an important process. Um I've had a, I had a rule back from the Islamic Council of Victoria days, which is as much as possible, don't read the, all the attacks, but don't read the praise. Wow. You can't, you can't just have one. Yeah. <laughs> you can't say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to stop reading all the attacks for my mental health. Uh, if someone says something great about me, I need to know about that. You, I don't think you can do that. I think it, it really comes down to a relatively small group of people who actually know you, understand your situation, and will give you good advice. That's, and that's really your mirror. That's the shura, isn't it? Yeah. You can't, yeah. yeah. I have people like that. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah you know, and, I love this. And, and, and it's, it's really important, I think. Um, but I'm just talking about the things that I think I experienced that are particular to public life and that most people in public life, even if they're like a sheikh or something. Yeah. And honestly, like, it's scary being in the public life because I see and I've heard so many stories from so many brothers, mm. you know, being in the public life, you know, knowing Sheikh Fahmi and, and understanding mm. him and being with him such a long time and seeing his public life and how people, you know, you, what you got to cop, you know what I mean? Mm. It's, 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 it's not easy. It's, mm. it's not an easy world out mm. there. And a lot of people wish upon themselves this kind of business, yep. but, bro, yeah, it's not for the light hearted. You got to be mm. a deep thinker. You got to contemplate every every sort of move you're making because everybody's just homing in on you yeah. like a laser. Yeah. But what do they say? That famous people crave obscurity and obscure people crave fame. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, just, it's amazing. Yeah. And I don't think everybody, I think a lot of people that don't choose fame get fame, subhanAllah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know, like you say that. Like a lot of people that don't choose it end up doing it. And people that yeah. are choosing it end up going into it and then falling apart through it, you know. Yep. And some people choose it and they go after it and we don't know. Maybe that's the, the means by which, you know, the means it. of their destruction. We don't know. On, on a good note, take, take us through uh, some mentors, some people that Sorry, are... Sorry, yes, yes. I'll get back to this. There were a few actually because um, for me, as far as media was concerned, it started really with writing and the big moment actually was it was literally the Tuesday after September 11. So... Uh, this will sound like a weird thing to say in that context. I'm a big Richmond fan, right, in the AFL. Yes, you wrote Basha's book. I did, I did, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what a guy he is. What a guy, mashallah. But I, Richmond were in the finals and September 11, no, it wasn't the Tuesday after September 11, it was September 11 before the attack had happened. Richmond were training because they were playing a semifinal against Carlton that weekend and I went to the training session. And I just went there. I took my sister-in-law and her kids and she's in hijab and whatever. So we look kind of, I guess, like a family. Anyway, I go to training, whatever, big deal. We kick the footy on the ground, go home. That night, September 11 happens. 
That Saturday is the the semi-final, Richmond Carlton. September 11th has just happened. I'm sitting in the stands. I'm reading the newspaper. There's an article there by a guy who I'd always really loved. He's his writing I loved. His name's Martin Flanagan, right? Sports journalist at the age. But he always did sport in a really quirky, very sociological way. He was interested in people and stories. He wasn't interested in hamstrings and mm. and scores. Yeah. So I'm reading his article and it was called something like letting the game go on in the face of adversity. And he was talking about the relationship between sport and tragedy and, how, you know, the importance of football during the war, for example, and stuff like this and and how odd playing a semi-final when September 11th just happened would be. And all this. In the article, he says he was at Richmond training on the Tuesday and he said he looked around and he saw a Muslim family. He saw, I saw a woman in a headscarf and some kids and a Muslim man and I saw a Muslim family and I, th- I think the quote was something like, and I thought about how great this game can be. They were just another Richmond family. And I, bear in mind, I've always admired this guy. And I was like, I'm just in the stand reading this thing. And I'm like, what? It's me. <laughs> anyway, so I went home and I, I emailed him, I think. And I just said, um, you don't know me, but you, you actually just wrote about me. Because uh, I, I referred the thing. And I said, by the way, um, I, I'm interested in writing and I'm interested in media stuff. If you've got any advice, let me know. Anyway, I must have left my phone number because a couple of days later, I got a call from him. Wow. And he's like, I mean, I'm at uni and, and at this time, this is when newspapers are a massive deal. So anyone who writes in a newspaper, it's not that they're a celebrity, but it's like, well, they'd never just have a yeah, chat. Yeah. Like it just, mm. Anyway, and I just remember picking up the phone and he was like, is that Waleed? And I said, yeah. And he goes, Waleed, that's Flanagan. He always would talk that way. <laughs> and we just had this huge chat. And at the end of, and I thought that was going to be it. And at the end of the conversation, he said, if you write anything and you want me to take a look at it, send it along. Allah Akbar, yeah. And so I did. And I had some thoughts and because, you know, 9-11's just happened. There's a lot going on. I've got things that are – so anyway, I just did it and I sent it to him. And he called me back later and just said – I remember this line. He said, writing's a bit like footy. You can either play or you can't. And you can play. Oh, nice. Wow. wow. Still awesome. remember like this big moment for me. Wow. And we struck up a really good relationship. He would look at stuff I'd written. He would give me advice on it. And then it got to, let's go back to November 24, 2002, that first piece over. That got published because I sent it to him and he said, I think it's good. It's really good. I'll, I'll, I think I know the editor to send it to. And so he passed it on and that editor published it. So this guy, Martin Flanagan, I mean, he's, he's, He'd be close to 70 now. He lives in Tassie now. He's moved there. He's from Tassie originally. His brother is Richard Flanagan, a really celebrated author. He comes from, you know, a literary family. Amazing. He's an amazing storyteller in that very Irish way. Yeah. And he was the guy really, without him, I, like it, it, it's all his fault basically. He, Slow. you know, he, he was just so generous in that and, and he saw something. The way he put it to me is, you've got you've got the diamond. You just need to learn how to cut it. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, was his thing, yeah. and no, there's very, that everyone would have a story like that with a mentor. Yeah, yeah, like that's yeah, yeah. that's I mean, how that works. That, that, that's the beauty. That's you you're exactly there. Sometimes see that I believe in you. I will help you believe in you. you yeah. know, again, so many of us have had that one situation where somebody yeah. says, "You know what? You're pretty good at this. 
Yeah. Because we have so much self-doubt. We have so much self-doubt. Yeah. Even when we know we can do something so well, yeah. we still internalize, you know, like, nah, I'm not good. I can't do this. And I'm no way. And then when you get somebody of a high caliber telling you, wow, you got this. Yeah. Automatically, all these dissipate. you remembered it since then? Yeah. It's you a really remember the game. It was a really big moment. But, yeah. but the second point there, and I think it wouldn't have ever happened unless he got off his bum and went out and sent that email. Yeah. And this is what yeah. we tell the kids at the retreat. Yeah. It's like you must at least commit a small action, action that will open the gate. Mm. And trust me, whenever you ask anyone out there, wallahi, they will always reply a minimum. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you gotta but nobody's gonna be calling you. He's not gonna ever kind of call you and say, Hey, you know, no, I, out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. nowhere. It's yeah. never gonna happen. That's true. And yeah. subhanAllah, how much that is profound for you. Made a big difference, yeah. It made a big difference in your life. And it's, that's oh, wow. one interaction, yeah. one email. Yeah. It was oh, amazing, yeah. And then, and you know, we're friends for ever yeah. after that. And then, we, we've, had the, we've had similar stories. Yeah, like, yeah. Amazing. We, but we've all had, I think, similar stories. Anybody who has, it's amazing how those doors open. You know yeah. what I mean? What's yeah. the worst case scenario? You never well, got back to you? just looking back to me. No, I mean, it's not an <laughs> issue. He's not going to write back and say, never contact me again. again. <laughs> <laughs> And even if you did, I guess I'll never contact him again. Um, the other person was, um, I mentioned before, was John Fain. So he's, um, I still think, incredible broadcaster. Amazing. Formidable intellect and just ability at doing that. It's a hard, I've done that job. I've done that shift a lot. I know what's involved. It's exhausting. It's, you've, got, you've just got to be across everything. It's, it's amazing. You've got to get up really early. Yes, that's the other thing, which I don't love. <laughs> don't love. Alhamdulillah, um, for pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there's something about 6 a.m. trying to read something about the budget going, this is not what life's meant to be. Um, anyway, but he uh, he was the one actually who convinced me to do the broadcast stuff. Oh, wow. He's the one who said, no, you can do this. And I think he loved the idea as well of um, – a Jewish guy who goes on holidays and gets replaced by a Muslim guy. I think he thought that was great fun. He seemed to love that. But he was always, he's always very generous. Um, You know, we'd we'd have lunch or whatever and he, he, everything happened quickly with him because that's when you live in a world of talkback radio, everything's like this, everything's just constant. And so it's like, Doing a lot of clicking today. Um, <laughs> everything's constant. So that was kind of, talking to him felt like you were on air. Allah. Like you get to the end of a sentence and he's already on the next. Sentence. Oh, he's like, he's like that. He's very sharp, but um, he was great. And he, he gave me the confidence and the backing to do it. And I think he was probably the one, I, I don't know for sure, but I think he was the one who convinced the management. This is your guy. Like, so probably without, so without Flanagan, I'd probably never write in media. And without John, I probably don't do broadcast. So they're probably the two in in a media. I mean, I got a lot of other yeah. people who would be mentors in my life yeah, more generally, yeah. and we certainly Islamically and whatever. Yeah. But um, professionally, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, those guys, oh, amazing right. story. I, 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 so you guys, get out there, send that email, try. <laughs> yeah, well, Allah, that, that's the key. Well, also, well, give John Fain a call. He's retired. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> think he's got a couple of million phone calls. <laughs> he's an interesting guy because he's the, he he'll he'll he'll. Sh- Put you in your place pretty quickly if you if you're making a stupid argument he'll let you know <laughs> he's one of those so which is exactly the job right uh, we uh, we love uh, ending our podcast on a, a I am statement oh no don't do this <laughs> this is this is what uh, we try to end it always with an I am statement oh, yeah. and um, Subhanallah um, mm. 
I think every one of us is so unique in the way they, they sort of put their in single statement. Yeah? There's so many different ways I could take this. Part of me really just wants to say, I'm trying. And, and, and stop there because that's important. Sure. Uh, I think sometimes we can get caught up in the outcome mm. rather than in the, the process, the effort, yes. which of course as Muslims we understand that yeah. the outcome's not, uh, that's not on us yeah. and that's not the point. And, yeah. I, and I feel like we worry about that. But uh, do you know what, what I would say, and this is I'm making this as a professional like it was a work sort of a statement and the way I think about what I'm trying to do is, um, what's the best way to phrase it? Uh, I'm trying to make people who are divided see each other clearly. Allah. That's probably what I'm Inshallah. doing. You're doing an awesome job. It wasn't always the case. It was always it was different. There were different phases. Sometimes it was in the post 9-11 year, a lot of it, especially on ICV, it's a community representative role and that's my job. But as we enter a world that is increasingly divided on everything all the time, yeah. I feel like one of the best things we could do is learn to see each other clearly. Yeah, it's probably the organizing principle for what. Because we've all been there or there. We have. It's yeah. a hard thing to be there. It yeah. Is. And I, the way I put it once, because I, I mentioned I wrote a book in 2007, and a lot of what that was doing was like, kind of saying, I don't require everyone to love each other. You, you don't have to love everyone, but at least hate them for the right reasons. At least understand them yeah. properly. Yeah. How today I, I see you as a double-sided mirror that gives clear perspective on both sides mm. yeah. and also reflects the truth for each person. So it's amazing how mm. you sit as a double-sided mirror between two sides. They're both looking at each other mm. but also looking at themselves. And I thought, mashallah, that, that, that's the sort of person that I see now so that I never you, saw. You've done the I am for me <laughs> better than me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, that's like that's an incredibly Mashallah. kind thing you to say. I don't, I, I'm, I'm, not, bless you, I'm not sure it's Mashallah. true, but if it's uh, as an aspiration, I think it's, yeah. Alhamdulillah. May Allah bless you. May Allah bless you and your family. We appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, your time, you know. Time. Mashallah. No, thanks Thank very you. much for having me. It's Ma been my honour. And um, thank you very much. I look forward to part two next week. <laughs> no, there's no doubt we're going to have a part two oh, okay, right. because we have to look. The guys, I know you're watching. Mm. We need you guys to ask the questions for the next one. <laughs> so what you need to do now is I want as many questions possible, and I promise you we're going to get him back answer as many as you can. How about that? Do you know what? I think this is this is the wrong approach. What you need to do. Is get my wife Susan to ask me the questions. <laughs> <laughs> then you'll get some oh stuff. Oh my god! Uh, I think we're gonna get Ahmed and Susan to come oh, ask the right no. questions. <laughs> now, that's it. That's it. I'm out. I can't. I can't do this. Now, now we're gonna get rid of this. Mashallah. Oh, yeah. Allah bless you. Jazakallah khair. Please, guys. Mashallah. As we noticed on the podcast, uh, ninety-five percent of the people that are watching or listening haven't prescribed, and we'd love for you guys to prescribe uh, to whatever channel you're watching, inshallah, because it does help the podcast grow. And inshallah, so that means we can do more for you and bring amazing 
brothers and sisters like Walid on board again so they can share their experiences and, and their beautiful stories to enlighten our brothers and sisters throughout the whole world. Jazakum Allah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.